Welcome to Survive It Well. I'm Haley. And I'm Aparna. On this new season of the podcast, for each episode, we discuss one picture book and one-ish poems that share a theme. This week, our theme is non-human point of view. We don't know what the word theme means. Are we using the word <laughs> theme loosely? Very broadly, very loosely. Yes. Before Broad we get in... Loose, that's what they call us. <laughs> <laughs> this is off to a great start already. <laughs> Before we get into that discussion, though, uh, let's debrief how our recommendations went. Um, oh, yeah. Is that, yeah? All yes. Right. Yes, uh, you recommended that I learn about this species I encounter but don't know much about. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of eucalyptus trees in our city. And this discovery sort of started a little while ago because uh, my sister went on a mushroom walk. And she told me that mushrooms don't grow at the base of eucalyptus trees because they like because the properties of the tree and like eucalyptus trees are very ubiquitous they're all around uh, and we use the eucalyptus oil for like uh, to relieve congestion during colds and just like an antiseptic it has it has antiseptic properties but it's also used for like furniture the wood is used for furniture mm-hmm. but i discovered they are everywhere and when we were small we used to collect those little cones in which the eucalyptus flowers used to be before before they bloom and we used to stack up all the codes and useless so we, we've had them around us throughout our life but apparently they're not very good uh for just for the soil in general they take too much water and they suppress other plant life and they sort of reduce the quality of the soil over time because like of course, if no mushrooms are growing, you already know that's a bad sign because mushrooms are the best. So it sort of uh, ruins long-term soil health and other microfauna uh, also just dies around it. And um, so that's that's what I discovered about eucalyptus trees, which I've known my whole life and now I've frowned at them when I pass them. <laughs> A eucalyptus tree, what you're telling me is a, a eucalyptus tree is like a bad friend. Yeah. You take up it's all like your resources. Yeah. Hmm. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea either. They're from, they're originally from Australia. I think they're native to Australia. Okay. And they've been in India since the late 1700s. So they're everywhere, but they're not very good. So ah. there's a very staunch environmentalist. So like stop this eucalyptus growing but we are trapped in a cycle of needing the eucalyptus trees now yeah alas what did i what did i recommend you, to you recommended to me to ask my grandparents some stories about their childhood which was very timely because i spent the last week with them yes let me tell you my grandparents they are handing out childhood stories left right and center these days <laughs> Like every time they would tell me a new story, completely unprompted. I did not have to ask them one single question. Sometimes I did, obviously, but I got a lot of stories. And the whole time I was in a bit of a panic thinking, what story am I going to tell on the podcast? (laughs) And then on the last day, Gramps shared the sweetest, sweetest story. We were talking about what activities they like to do in their free time as kids. And we were talking about how Gramps used to listen to Pocky on the radio um, before there were TVs and before 
there were movies. And he was saying Mm -hmm. that as a kid in the newspaper, there would be like comic strips and he would cut out the comic strips and then tape them together so that they'd be in like one long strip, right? Oh my God, I love that. He would, he created this little box that had like pegs on both sides and he would wrap it around one side and then like loop it on the other side so he could twist it and then the strip would slide across like a movie like a movie like a movie film like a movie reel so he would sit and watch his comics (laughs) go by like this and I was like yeah you were does you were destined to be an engineer (laughs) (laughs) oh I love that yeah. Uh, and my face went like when you said, uh, uh, this is a podcast, I shouldn't just make expressions. But it was a bit shocked when you said cut out the comic strips because when the, one of the only things I've ever collected, I'll tell you the things that I've collected. <laughs> Two of the things that I've collected. One was uh, branded restaurant napkins. Oh. Unused. <laughs> I want to stress I am shocked. The second was <laughs> the second was I used to cut out comic strips as well. I never did the whole rolling, uh, make it a, a movie thing. But yeah, because I used to read them every day, and I used to say some of these make me laugh. Most of them don't make me laugh. <laughs> I'm going to cut out the ones I like so that I will have a collection of ones that always make me laugh. Right. Yeah, but I, I have I have lost the collection. An and editor from the beginning. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Okay, good story. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Okay, Aparna. As yes, Haley. Thank you. As our resident expert and enthusiast on children's literature, that's you. Yes. Uh, why don't you begin the conversation? about a picture book which has a non-human point of view okay so the picture book that i recommended is called they all saw a cat by brendan benson and it's one of my all-time favorite picture books i know i say this sentence a lot but if you knew the sheer number of picture books i have read you would know that there is a very small percentage that i love very much and um the re- one of the reasons that I'm sorry to say it doesn't lend itself well to the podcast because one of the reasons I love the picture book is because the art is just so clever. And I chose it because it's a very literal switching of perspective. So basically, it's a cat who's walking and uh, there's no story to it. But basically, different species are looking at the cat and they're all seeing a cat, but the cat looks so different depending on who's doing the seeing. So that's why it's very much a story about perspective. And I took that perspective thing very literally. And um, it both captures like physical responses and also emotional responses. Like to, I think it was a mouse. The cat looks really scary. And then uh, there's one of my favorite pages is, I think there's a bee page and it's all made up of like small colorful circles sort of visualizing how a bee processes visual stimulus and so it's just there's so much in it because there's science and there's emotional responses and there's just like physical it's just really clever so um yeah uh, uh, in children's literature there are a lot of non-human points of view like 
there is a lot of we we get to see talk, talking animals really often but it's very much uh, a lot of the time a stand in for a very human perspective it's just easier to get like animals to do it and, and also sometimes it's lazy um, sometimes it's used well but uh, but yeah so i always find then there's some sort of my favorite use of the animal perspective is when some sort of um, i guess it's backed by science or even just observation which is the, the most basic form of science uh if i had to pick a middle grade book for this category i would have picked um the one and only ivan by katherine applegate which is uh, which i've recommended to you several times i'm sure but uh it's written from the perspective of this gorilla who's in a mall who lives in a mall and it's sort of based on a real life gorilla and whenever the author talks about how she went about doing the research uh, how she went about writing the book she talks a lot about how much research went into it just about um gorillas in general about this particular gorilla so to try and get into the mindset of the character it's very much a made up character because it has to be by the nature of storytelling but she didn't just say oh it's a gorilla so i can just make up whatever i want because nobody knows what a gorilla thinks like there was a lot of research that went into it and that shows i think in the depth of writing and when an animal perspective is used it it shows a lot when the the writer has thought about has actually thought about the perspective yeah that's what say what i wanted to say oh also specifically about this book one more thing that i wanted to say is i like how different points of view don't negate the reality of any one point of view mm-hmm. and that's why i like that this book includes so many and the line is still they also a cat and this one's a cat and this one's a cat and all, all of those things are true and all of those things are real and and points of view don't have to always be in opposition with each other that's a great yeah, that's why big monologue about <laughs> keep little not animal points of view yeah i have so much to say about this story this got a little existential for me reading this book yeah um i can see why but go <laughs> yeah. ahead Okay, I got a little emotional at the end too. Like there's so Feel much to spoil the ending. So at the end, after you've seen all these different creatures observe the cat and have reactions, the cat goes to the water's edge and looks in the water and I'm putting air quotes like sees its reflection and it's totally mm-hmm. distorted because it's a like a moving pond. Mm-hmm. And the, there's so much subtext. It's such a brief story like it's a it's a a regular length picture book but what 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 is being said is very sparse it's pretty repetitive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the line to like i think it's the second last page says the cat knew them all and they all knew the cat the subtext of that is also and none of them know the cat yeah and the cat doesn't know the cat because you just watch all these animals observe a cat minding its own damn business and they're all mm-hmm. having reactions the mouse is terrified and there's a mm. bird that flies over the cat and sees like a tasty treat mm. and so they all see what what the cat is in relation to them 
but but nothing about what the cat is. And then the cat gets to to the point of seeing its reflection. And that's what the cat thinks it is. Like it thinks that it looks the way it sees itself in the water and has no idea of all the other ways that all these creatures have seen it. Mm. I thought what I read into it was that it's distorted because there are so many perceptions of it. That too. And so like it has a distorted image of of itself. Yeah, exactly. Which is also true. Like you care so much about what people are thinking of you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And there's this other illustration, sort of like scrapbook style, where the cat is made up of all of the different versions, like pieces of its Mm -hmm. tail look like the tail of the scary cat and then you know um yeah so it's kind of hodgepodge together to look like a cat that was really like the moment of crisis for me maybe also (laughs) because I told you I was reading at the same time turtles all the way down by John Green and John Green just always makes me feel existential (laughs) but yeah I was just like there is no (laughs) there is no you like the you that you Aparna knows is different than the Aparna that I know and it's so helpful to consider other points of view for that reason like if the story was told from the cat's point of view you could get the same message across like you could the cat could be aware that the mouse is afraid of it and that the bird thinks it looks delicious but but it's not as effective it's so much more useful Mm. to like to take a step outside yeah and I think, I think that's partially why we will, we'll, I think we'll get into more discussion about anthropomorphization. That is a hard word to yeah. say. Um, <laughs> you said it perfectly. Oh, thank you. But I think that's partially why we like it and why it's a useful thing, even though I'm a little bit wary of it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I also and had a what question. was your, oh. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> segue into the next bit. You're like, <laughs> you're not hosting. Like, sorry. <laughs> I'm a control freak. Yeah, yeah, Can't I get let it. go of the power that has been given to me. <laughs> there was a one moment of pause and you were like, moving on. No, I just have one question. <laughs> yeah. How does it work for, I'm assuming that Brendan Wenzel, Wenzel mm-hmm. illustrated this as well, because there was no indication. Yes. How does it work when you have a concept and you also want to illustrate it? Do you have to bring the writing and like rough illustrations? Because you couldn't, you couldn't really pitch this book without the, the book doesn't work without illustrations, the the illustrations. Uh, I think a good editor would spot the potential in it, even if it was just text, but it's possible when there's a writer and an illustrator to like pitch it as a rough storyboard. Mm. directly but I know that not all writer illustrators do that they still want to start with the script so some some people do that yeah but he would have to indicate to them like here's the written stuff oh yeah and here's what the illustrations are going to serve yeah 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 he'd have to write a line explaining what his vision for the book is or he would have done a like a couple of pages as a rough storyboard or the entire thing storyboarded and pitch it Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Moving on. The poem that I wanted to discuss is one written by Mary Oliver, sort of queen of non-human, specifically animal points of view. 
And this poem is called Driving Through the Wind <laughs> River Reservation, a poem of Black Bear. Yeah. And I find this poem a little challenging. I don't know how you found it. Listen, this podcast, this season of this podcast is testing my limits of comprehending poetry, which I never claimed to be able to do. In fact, much the opposite. And now every week or two weeks, it's like a test <laughs> of me not being able to understand poetry and what's, what's the maximum meaning you can glean out of this until we record the podcast and Haley tells you what it means. Well, I don't know. I I will <laughs> never have the... I Okay, I shouldn't say never. I will probably never have the answer, but I have interpretations and suspicions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this poem okay so I read this poem because I was reading a collection of of hers called dream I'll put it in the show notes I forget dream world dream Mm -hmm. something it's an early collection and I read this poem and a good poem to me at a few points or at one point gives me like a gut punch and then I'm like oh I like that poem and the whole time reading this poem I was feeling very confused well, actually, I thought I knew what was happening. I thought there was like a Mary Oliver-like figure in the poem watching mm. a man walk through the woods. Okay. And then at the end, can I spoil the ending of the poem or would you like to... No, no, go ahead and spoil it. At the end, the character who is in fact a black bear, not a Mary Oliver character, uh, crouches down and has some baby cubs gives birth yeah and that scene is written so beautifully the last Mm -hmm. four lines i'll just i'll just read them for you say she rearranged herself so that the cubs could slide from her body so that the rivers would flow and yeah i was like oh yeah this this is the one and i was wondering at what point did you realize or have like a hunch that she was pregnant oh only at the end okay only when she started giving birth did I realize that she was pregnant okay yeah (laughs) I think I'm so dense that even in real life that might happen (laughs) only when people are like actually giving birth in front of me oh you've been pregnant all this time so not out of character for me but also the bear hit it well at what point did you realize Oh, the last lines. I had no idea before that. But did you go back and notice clues to, oh, here I could have picked up on this. Oh, so nobody knew. I think I understood the scene a little bit better, which is that like she's at home in her bear den. Well, I think it's Mm -hmm. actually like underneath a tree that had fallen over. And she's watching this male bear go out And sort of, um, I think she's very annoyed or very, like, cynical about this other bear. I don't know what you felt like her tone was, but I felt like she hated him. Not hate. I also felt that uh, there was a certain, like, dismissiveness towards it. I did not get that that was a bear. I did not get that the second character was a bear. I don't know if it's clear in the text or not and I just didn't get it but I was not 
uh, certain about the the species that the other character was. Hmm. It's yeah. It's possible that he's not, but I definitely okay. read it every time after the first time. Uh, the first time I thought he was human, and then every time after that, after I knew that she had cubs, I read as he was her. I don't think they're his cubs. That's Did how I read that? it. Yeah, because of the oh, seeming like okay. resentment of him that she's in her den doing all like doing all the labor, literally the labor. Oh, watching okay. him sort of like prance around the forest. And specifically when she says he's like running around <laughs> and she it says, well, she thought he'll wear himself out running around like that. It's yeah. a little bit of like a fever dream, sort of like she wait. She's the, the first line is in the time of snow, in the time of sleep. So she's sleeping halfway mm-hmm. through. It says she slept again. She's preparing for this like huge life transformation and this yeah other this like male figure whatever species is oblivious to what she's going yeah. through yeah oh yeah for sure that that i agree it does my favorite line is when she says well she was spurred from the leaves that's that that's yeah. my favorite line of the <laughs> mine too yeah which is why i thought it was like a a human versus a non-human like how one would imagine animals look at death versus how humans look at death. Like oh. uh, for a wild animal, it would be so much more not not being hunted, but the rest of life and death would be so much more just a part of life. Well, that's that sort of attitude, which I thought was like being contrasted with human attitudes towards death. Which I think, I guess, is still possible even if that character wasn't human, but that's just how I read. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I had not picked up on the fact that he died. Oh, okay. So, like, the line is, Finally, one morning, the sun rose up like a pot of blood, which is spectacular, by the way, and his Mm. knees buckled. Well, she whispered from the leaves, that's that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. again I don't know right I don't know what it means so it's so frustrating with poetry (laughs) because I never know and people should just leave no so this is what I meant but this is the actual answer I feel like I'm the sort of person who needs there to be actual answer why it's silly but Hmm. yeah so like we had such wildly different interpretations which I guess great that's what poetry is all about but But we have like, yeah, but but which one of us is right? <laughs> well, I don't feel like I'm in competition with you, but... No, there... I also don't think it's a competition. I just feel like I want to know what she intended because I want mm-hmm. to read it in the spirit. Not like write as an, as an exam, but right. I mean, I want to know what... I want to know what the actual meaning is. Right. Like, what what, what, what did she mean when she wrote it? Uh-huh. I hear you. Yeah. We'll never no, get that's to That's a bit know. frustrating. It is a no. bit frustrating, but regardless, this poem has like an overwhelming human presence, even, even if he's... So maybe I'm just dense. Like I wrote this down. Is dense? Is that a thing to say? 
Mm-hmm. But you're like, not. <laughs> I would like to publicly. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> and I wrote down in my notes, like, and one of the questions I had written down to ask you is like, which parts seem distinctly human and which are distinctly non-human? Mm. So I think I just didn't pick up on the fact that like there is a human in this poem. I think I just overlooked mm. that. I think you're right that mm-hmm. after the bear's woken up, it says, uh, once she woke in the deep leaves under the fallen tree and peered through the loose bark and saw him, a tall white bone with thick shoulders like a wrestler, roaring the sawtooth music of wind and sleet. Okay, I'm not actually sure. <laughs> it's a, it's the yeah. tall white bone that makes me think it's a human. because this Yeah, is but then the a bear bear. wouldn't describe a human's uh as uh, with thick shoulders like a wrestler Mm, right i don't know i don't know so but regardless there is a lot of of humanity in the poem like the reference to music roaring like sawtooth music like Mm -hmm. reference to the wrestler and like the human instinct of annoyance um (laughs) So it's all around, and this makes me want to talk about more broadly what you like about the potential of non-human points of view, which I think we've covered a little bit, but I think maybe more so the risks of it. And we can come back mm. to this if you have anything you haven't uh, that you want to say about. The oh point. no! Oh no! I'm happy to. To move on to the more general discussion of non-human points of view. Um, so I see all of the ethical and moral dilemmas surrounding it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have as strong of an objection towards it as many people do. Like we used to discuss this in class as well when we were yeah. doing our course. And I know that a lot of people just like to stay completely away from it while writing, while nature writing. And a lot of people don't treat it as true nature writing if it does switch perspective to another species. And I think I'm very much paraphrasing Charles Foster. He calls it our best guess. Mm -hmm. And I just think I I very much believe that it should be done properly, but that's true for everything. If you're writing, you have to do it properly. But I think it just shows you paying attention to non-human beings in this world. And I think it's, especially at a young age, I feel like it has so much potential for empathy because... Children are so easily able to slip into another's shoes while reading uh, because well, they're more open-minded readers. And I think using this perspective to generate empathy, not, not with, a, with an aim to generate empathy, but like when we read Charlotte's Web when we were children, mm-hmm. it's just hard not to be moved by, by that. And I don't think that would have worked if it was a human perspective. Right. And... Yeah, so that's my 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 very broad take on it is that I get it. I get it when people are suspicious of it, but I don't think 
we should rule it out. And I totally. don't think that, that there's no place for it. Even within nature writing, I think there is place for it. And in in all genres, I think. But I do think, like we grew up, like I grew up reading a lot of folk tales that use animal perspectives, but very much human standards. So mm-hmm. like the sly fox and the timid deer and like the foolish donkey and things like that. And so it's easy to grow up reading those stories and be a little like scarred by the like, don't use animal perspectives. You don't know how to do it. And and I, I get that. Right. But I've also read so many good versions of that that I I truly think that 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 there is a, a strong case to be made for for the, the non-human perspective to be more accepted. Absolutely. Also, our imagination is one of the greatest like gifts that we get as humans. Yeah. And to say like, don't use your imagination is such a is such a waste. Like it's often assumed that poets are writing about themselves and this is something Mm -hmm. that like my friends who write poetry and I get frustrated about is sometimes when you write a poem and someone asks you about it and then they assume that it's true that it's like a biographical (laughs) autobiographical and like often it is but it's not always and it is a common strategy like you could imagine, and like Sylvia Plath does this a lot, writing poems from the point of view of depression or mm-hmm. the point of view of a flower. And that's a beautiful thing. I understand. I agree with you. The The hesitation maybe is to say, like, I know about other yeah. species. I know what it's like. And because I'm human, mm. my point of view of what your experience is like matters or or um yeah is accurate or whatever is valuable yeah either it's that that oh I know what that bird feels like or that bird would feel in that situation how I would feel in that situation and both of those I think are bad and and when we are so conscious of just like writing from another person's point of view even Mm -hmm. like there's so much talk about own voices and authenticity and things like that there's just one needs to be just exercise the same amount of care towards how they're writing from the perspective of of non-humans right what you just said made me think about something that we've talked about before which is that Historically and presently, (laughs) white people, especially white men, have written as though they're the universal point of view. And anyone Mm -hmm. who doesn't have that intersectional point of view, like that at that intersection, is writing like from a niche instead of writing for the universal. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe that is the concern is like assuming that writing is always universal when 
it like almost never is that it doesn't that the value in in writing a story is not that it's universal it's that it's like specific and people can get things out of the specificity of an experience Mm -hmm. and so to write from the point of view of a black bear is not to write this is how all black bears are it's just to say here's a story about something that maybe Mary Oliver witnessed she the title is driving through the Wind River Reservation she maybe witnessed a moment and thought I need to tell a story about this because I witnessed something beautiful and and spontaneous and rare Mm -hmm. And to limit ourselves to say, like, we shouldn't write from that point of view because we don't know the truth. Well, then we shouldn't write about anything because we don't know the truth about anything. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. As long as the purpose or the result. Yeah. Isn't. The purpose is also an important thing to consider. Like, it's it shouldn't just be a gimmick. According to me, all of this is just. It's right. very personal. There are such varying yeah. opinions about this. I feel like there's a there's a lot more to say about this, but no, I, I think we've said everything that could possibly uh, be said. <laughs> we've covered it. We have uh, completed. Yeah. If anyone needs anything, uh, any information about non-human points of view, listen, listen to this episode to this discussion, and this is the uh, the most comprehensive. <laughs> Yes, if, if you think that there's something else to say, you don't. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Listen again, we've already said it. <laughs> Your point of view is wrong. Yeah. Uh, okay, before we get to our recommendations for next week, um, yeah. please tell me your best or worst or most notable. I just wrote down noteworthy, but I think it, I think it's supposed to be best. I think. Is it best? Oh, yeah. It is supposed to be best, but I like noteworthy. Sometimes okay. a sentence so odd right. that you write it down or take a picture of it. That's that's acceptable, I think. Okay. So tell me your noteworthy phrase, word, or sentence. Okay. Uh, okay. Again, I don't know why I keep doing this, but I have to. I love um, that. I have been listening to... Um, Time is a mother by Ocean Wong while falling asleep, the audiobook. And uh, I just like the sound of poetry being read to me as I fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is a very funny thing to admit because I wouldn't like another person doing it to me, but I like <laughs> poetry in my ears while I'm falling yeah. asleep. Yeah. Well, because if someone's reading it to you, there's like a bodily presence that might be off putting, but. In an audio form. Yeah. So I almost exclusively listen to it at night. So mm-hmm. I'm more awake for some parts of it than I am for others. And also sometimes uh, the poems are about like very serious, intense emotions. Mm-hmm. And I feel wrong falling asleep to it. So I sometimes have to stop <laughs> it. But <laughs> like, I shouldn't be falling asleep to somebody else's trauma, I think to myself. And then I switch to a different audio medium to put me mm. to sleep but uh there's this one line from the poem that's titled not even this which says 
what if it wasn't the crash that made me but the debris the whole poem is really beautiful for this one line ah there are so many lines like this just in isolation you just look at it and you can sort of get a sense of the entire poem because mm. it just contains so much what if it wasn't the crash that made me but the debris yeah really like that so i wrote that down there's another one which is just i don't know why i took a picture of this so i guess it's just noteworthy there's this instagram account i follow it's called m underscore d underscore n underscore f underscore and i forgot the name of the person who runs it or the, i think there are two people who run it because i follow their accounts individually as well and i do these little like text illustration thingies like it's perfect for instagram please check it out but the one that he took a picture of is just it's just uh the cover of a book and it says the next time will be the same as last time and this time is the same as both those times <laughs> like, oh yeah so it's often these things that will make you go ah oh, or oh or hmm. yeah ah oh, or oh or ooh <laughs> i like it those are good options thanks those are all those are those are all, all the three emotions out there yeah ah oh, oh and hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like there are four taste profiles like that the emotion profiles yeah you can yeah. pile all emotions under one of these three categories what's your most noteworthy sentence slash phrase slash word is it just sentence mine is a sentence this time yeah okay um go ahead so gramps is making a reappearance on this episode because we were talking about this movie they had watched a long time ago my nanograms. Okay. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that movie. And then <laughs> Gramps told me a lot about the movie. And then he said, well, I've told you more than I know. And it made me <laughs> laugh so hard. He was like, I didn't remember anything about that movie, but I've told you more than I know. <laughs> and I laughed and I thought, I like that. I like that too. And also, I've never thought about like sentences that we say to each other all the time, all day long. And I'm just like, oh, I haven't read enough. This I don't I don't want to quote a sentence from the same book that I quoted last time because I happen to be reading it. And there are words all over. Words all over. There are words all over. They really are. Yeah, I never thought to pay attention to. So what people are saying to me. I mean, I do pay attention. This not in this context. I'm a good listener. I am. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So that good that I don't true. think, oh, this is a good sentence. That's right. You're so present. Time. Yeah. Wow. Okay, now you're making me look bad. <laughs> Let's move on to our recommendations. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, you go first. Okay, for next week, I want. I'm recommending something that I did this week which I was very annoyed to do, okay. but I forced myself to do it. Go for a walk without mm. headphones. I hate you. I know. I hated myself too when I did it. I I, I went for, it. let me tell you, not only did I go for a walk without headphones, I went for a walk without a phone. Okay, but let me tell you, I can't do that because what if no. I get stuck in the lift on my way down? And secondly, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, you have 
silence around you and you can hear birds and trees and stuff when i go out i need headphones to block out the sound of traffic but i will report to you how irritating the traffic was that's exactly what i want to know to the shop yeah fine fine <laughs> okay I, and i wait 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 what what does a okay. walk count as is it 5 minutes 10 minutes 10 minutes i can do 10 okay my recommendation for you is something that i wanted to do so maybe we can do it together as in not the same one but maybe we both can do it um it's to make a blackout poem but i don't know if you know what that is and i don't know where it originated i encountered it in the newsletter of this uh author illustrator designer called austin cleon whose newsletter i subscribe to and he makes a lot of them and i've always really been fascinated by the concept because sometimes it's so perfect that i'm like this got to be like fake <laughs> so this is printed the version that they blanked out over it but yeah so i'm 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 interested to try it out and i thought I we, love could, that. we could both make blackout poems have you ever made one i have never made one oh, great even better but can I tell you about a blackout poem that I read recently? Yeah. So my beloved Padre Gotuma in his okay. new collection, Feed the Beast, that came out in December, which you know I loved. I sent you pictures of many poems. He did a blackout poem of the Vatican's response to oh. um, uh, like gay marriage same-sex marriage and it is it's amazing it's incredible it's like five pages long I'll send you pictures of it yeah if anyone if you can I don't know if it's at your library or something oh I packed I'm moving so I, I packed it up so I won't be able to send it to you for a few weeks but if you can get your hands on feed the beast it's like it's like 30 pages long it's it's an incredible collection but this blackout poem is like Oh, oh! So you must be super not keen to try it if you read something <laughs> really good. No, no, I'm but really excited. Let's just make a fun one. Yeah. Okay, okay. I definitely okay. Do this. I'm excited too. So I've, I've I have two <laughs> things to do before the next podcast <laughs> recording. All right, that sounds good. For our next episode, yes, we'll be discussing body image. Yes, and. You'll see what that's all about in the next episode. Very we... smooth, Haley. Well Thank done. you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very smooth. That's what people say about me. Haley, she's very smooth. Smooth Haley. That's what they call it. We would like to thank Padre Gotuma for his poems, The Facts of Life, which inspired the title of this podcast. From Broad and Loose, signing off. Well, those are names from the beginning of the podcast. I've already forgotten what yeah, they Yeah, yeah, no. Happened. Good callback. Good callback. I have been Haley. I have been loose. <laughs> I'm sticking to mine. I see you quickly abandoned yours in favor no, of oh, I get away with whoever it. she I may have, be. I have been broad. And I have been loose. Goodbye. <laughs>